as we enter into graduation season, it's inevitable that every year I start thinking about my own graduation. I start to think about the celebration of all that has gone into a graduation, whether it be high school or college, whether it be trade school, whatever it is, how we celebrate the accomplishment and the milestone that we reach. And Weston, today we say congratulations on this milestone. And I'm going to be, some may say pessimistic, but my dad would call me a realist because what he told me the day after my graduation is, that and more will do. And I say that as a reminder of this, that while we, yes, celebrate your milestone, this is not the destination. There is so much more that God is calling you to that we are all excited to see God work in your life. And so while we celebrate with you, and while we wish we could stay in this moment, we're reminded that there's more to do. There's college, life ahead. And as I think about those moments, I think about what Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians. At the very beginning of it, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, where he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I don't want to pause right there because what what Paul is doing is proclaiming, you've done a wonderful job. Everything you've done, I celebrate and give thanks for all that you've done. For, as Weston just proclaimed to all of you, for the ways that you've shown God's grace and mercy and hospitality. For the ways in which you've been the church, I applaud you. For all that you have accomplished. But Paul doesn't stop there in his opening because Paul closes his opening with a prayer that this is my prayer for you, Weston. This is my prayer for us as a church. As he says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Paul starts off his letter, as many of us would if we were writing a letter, Hey, how's your mom and them? I miss you. Y'all come visit. 
Everything's going good. I hope everything's okay for y'all. And then he starts to pray that they would continue forth in love. And Paul, later on in his letter, begins to kind of unfold, unpack, if you will, why this is his prayer, because there are people that are coming against the church, that are coming against his teachings, that will undo all of this growth if they allow it to happen. And Paul, as he starts to unpack it, he says what is happening around them is this. That people have become so caught up in the external that they have lost sight of what truly matters in the internal. That sometimes in your physical life you may not always get it right, but where is your heart is what matters. And Paul unpacks it and says that in his day, it was the idea of circumcision, that if you were circumcised, you were marked as a child of God, and if you weren't, then you weren't. And he says, but we're not worried about this physical stuff. We're more worried about is your heart seeking God first. In our days, it may be, where's your membership? Where do you go to church? But what we see in, G in Paul's day or in our own day is so often if we're not careful, our focus can become on earthly labels and ambiguous things as how we define who God's people are. You may be saying, well, preacher, what do you mean by that? And I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but y'all are well aware of this. There are people on our membership rolls that have not darkened our doors probably in years. There are also people that are not on our membership rolls that darken our doors every Sunday. And we can get real caught up in the fact of being a member is what defines you as a Christian. But then the question becomes, how do we define membership? And it can become an ambiguous thing where we start to argue about what it really means. And Paul's saying, don't get sidetracked. Paul goes on and he says that there are even, and I know this will shock some of you, that there are even people that are proclaiming to share the good news, but all they're really doing is promoting their own self-interest, their own wants and desires. And, and Paul says, watch out for those people because they're good at what they do. But Paul's warning to the church, and my warning to each and every one of you is this. Continue to grow in relationship with God so that you're not led astray. Because if we start listening to the ways and the calls of this world, we can so easily find ourselves being led this way or that. But much like milestones, Christianity, as I've shared previously, is not a destination, but a journey in which we are on together. Later in his letter, Paul points to this idea of growing in understanding. As he starts to point to these groups that have this rigid adherence to, to what it means to the law, and then they lose sight of what Jesus calls us to, which is care and compassion for the other. We get so caught up 
and words and how we word things that we lose sight of the spirit in which they may be written. Because here's what Paul points them to. He says, God's holiness can only consist and begin in God's love. Not in some list of rules and regulations and guidelines. And this is why we know this text. When the Sadducees and the Pharisees try to corner Jesus and they say, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And they're saying, hey, what's that rule? What's that rule that defines who's in and who's out? And what does Jesus respond? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor. Everything else will fall into place if we focus on those two things. Paul points them back whenever he's asked, what is the greatest rule? Paul points them back to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ warns us against a world where we create walls and barriers that matter more than our neighbor. I can recall a time growing up where I knew all of my neighbors. Not just knew what they looked like, knew them by name, celebrated birthdays and milestones with them. And nowadays, we live in a world where if we can, we pull into our garage and close the door before we get out of our car so we don't have to talk to people. We've lost the ability of relationship, it it appears to me. And my challenge for each and every one of us is this. Do not... Do not let your agenda to be pushed, your argument to be won, your stance to be held, become more important than a person to be loved. Because that's where Jesus calls us to, is that people to be loved is the most important thing. A good relationship with God is shown in how we relate to God's people. You can say you've got a great relationship with God, but what we also hear in Genesis is that we're creating the image of God. So how you treat people reflects how you feel about God. The mission and the purpose is to have God's love so filled and flowing within us that it goes among us and through us to this world. And you may be saying, now wait a minute, wait a minute, preacher. What about, we got, we got rules for a reason. And don't mishear me, I agree. But if you go back and you look at Mark 2, when Jesus is asked about this idea, when the disciples are caring for those that are hurting on the Sabbath, and they go, wait a minute, we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Jesus' response is, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And over and over again, we hear Jesus, when the Sadducees and the Pharisees attempt to block him in with their rules, with their guidelines, that Jesus says, you've heard it said this way, but I say unto you this. Over and over, Jesus refutes with the way of love and relationship. And Paul, in his letter this morning, says, let your love overflow with knowledge. Not let your love and knowledge overflow. 
And so I think sometimes we put and instead of with because what we start to do is we go, I know, I know, I know, and we lose sight of the I love, I love, I love. We know what we think is right, and so we continue to push that, and we allow that to overflow. But as we know God more, what we hear in our text is that as we know and as we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what should be a byproduct of that is more love. More grace. And why? Because each and every one of us, if we're honest, is not worthy of God's love or grace. But at some point we encountered it. And so if we're not worthy of it, who are we to try to keep it from? This idea where Jesus continually says, follow me, is not an invitation to a destination, but an invitation to a journey as we continue to grow in understanding of who Jesus is. I'll be the first to tell you, I don't have God all figured out. I don't. I'm still learning day by day, minute by minute, moment by moment. And that's the beauty of the journey that we're all on together. It's the same reason that I challenge you, if there's ever anything that I say or do that causes pause or question in your life, please reach out to me because we're on a journey together. And I look at this letter that Paul wrote and I know the pushback that he received because the scripture later tells us that what people start pushing back on is this. This idea of Living without the law, living without this set of instructions, living where the scripture is pointing to hope and renewal rather than laying out a manual for what we're supposed to be and do, isn't that going to lead people to going off the rails and just doing whatever they want to do? And Paul responds back, and I, and I tend to believe and agree with Paul on this, he says, goodness, goodness is the fruit of a good and right relationship with Jesus Christ. More so than the following of rules and guidelines, the goodness God desires is the flow of love marked by your understanding of who God is and what he is calling you to and for. I've shared this before, but growing up, I can remember my mom cooking some spaghetti, and there was a hot pot on the stovetop, and I was a stubborn child, and I kept wanting to reach up and grab the pot. And my mama would say, no, don't. No, don't. No, don't. Yes, she had to say it that many times. And I never understood why. And so one moment... When my mama wasn't around or looking, I had it figured out. Now's when I'll go in there and pull that pot. And sure enough, as I did, my mama rounded the corner. She caught my hand. She smacked my hand. My hand jerked back. The water splashed out onto me. And I understood real quick that the reason that my mom had put things in place was not because she wanted to restrict me from things, but because she cared enough for me that she knew what was best for me. But I didn't understand that 
until I knew that my mama cared for me. You see, I think sometimes we as the church, we as Christians can get it backwards and we say, you have to find all these rules and regulations and fit into the box and then engage in a relationship. But what Paul is pointing us to is this. As you engage in relationship with Jesus Christ, you seek to glorify, honor, and serve him in care and compassion for his creation. That's the hope provided in the gospel. And as Paul says to love more, he, what he's saying is this is to share the gospel more, which this is the good news of the gospel, that as I shared last week, Jesus loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. Jesus longs for relationship with you. And as you start to grasp that idea of how deeply Jesus loves you, it leads you into you living out the gospel, not just proclaiming it. Because I've been guilty of this, and I think some of us have. We go, yeah, you know what? God loves you. I'm not so fond of you. God loves you. I could do without you. God loves you, but then everything that we say and do says that you're not loved. And then we start to wonder why people are misunderstanding what the church stands for. And it's because too often we promote what we stand against instead of what we stand for, which is the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. First and foremost. Period. And Paul is saying to be rooted in love of God and love of neighbor. And then the fruit that that will bear is the fruit that we are called to bear as the church. To never stop growing in wisdom and love. To never believe that we've reached a destination, but to continue on the journey as we continue to grow in love of God and love of community. When we connect love with wisdom, we can do more than simply create this resolution to do better. As we continue to grow in our understanding and our wisdom of who God is, and we allow that to influence our love for everybody and everything, it is amazing that it no longer becomes a desire, but it becomes who you are as you begin to see the fruits of that, of that resolution present in your own life. You can't separate what you see here and choosing to love. This is my prayer for our church. This is my prayer for West. And this is my prayer for our world. Is that we start to lean towards the idea of love. Because here's the thing. Over and over Jesus disagrees with people. And what they're doing. And how they're going about things. But Jesus never allows it to keep him from engaging in relationship with them. He goes and eats lunch with the tax collectors. And even when he's hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Love and grace abounds. The beginning of our journey is God's work beginning with love and relationship. Because as we engage in a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
It changes us from the inside out. It changes our hearts. It changes our minds as we grow in knowledge and wisdom. And as we become devoted to the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, we start to realize that what Paul is praying for is not just some supplication, but what Paul is praying for is an envisioning, an imagining of how a relationship with God should look. Weston, I know that I've already said a prayer over you, but my prayer for you today and for all of us is this, that we grow in wisdom and love that we err on the side of a neighbor to be loved over our own wants, desires, and agendas, and that we seek to follow the example set by Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.